Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Valentino Stoll. Hey, now. We also have Luke Stutters. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and we have a special guest this week. It's Amir Rajan. Amir, welcome back. Happy to be back. It's been a while. I think it's been at least a few years now. Yeah, you're going to make me go look it up, aren't you? <laughs> I'm going to make you go look it up. Yeah, it's, it's been a while, but uh, yeah, what's new with you? Let's see. Um... We'll survive, survive the the apocalypse. So that that's always a that's always a good thing. And I'm still doing game development, so that part hasn't changed. Um, and of, of course, with the Dragon Ruby, we just celebrated our three-year anniversary of the product. So those oh, nice. be, that would be the new thing. That would be the new thing. Everything else is same old, same old, which is a good thing. I'm frequently surprised at how many companies are running their apps in production without any way of knowing when things go wrong or who are running them in production and not really having a way of knowing where things are slowing down. That's why I recommend that people use a service like AppSignal. AppSignal plugs into your application seamlessly, whether you're using Rails, Phoenix, or something else, and provides you a way of knowing when things go wrong, when things are going slow, and what other problems your application may be facing so that you can fix them and provide a seamless user experience for those who are using your app. So whether you're starting a new app or working on an existing app, you should check out AppSignal and see how it can work for you. Go to AppSignal.com. That's A-P-P-S-I-G-N-A-L.com. Yeah. So the episode that I'm finding is episode 333, which was back in 2017, about this time of year, 2017, back when it was still Ruby Motion. I think you had just taken it over and yeah, yeah and we we're still doing have, all the things. We still, have a, we still have a Ruby Motion. Well, so Dragon Ruby, the naming, naming things, naming right? things, it's the worst. So uh, the company and, and the LLP is called Dragon Ruby and then mm-hmm. Ruby Motion is a Dragon Ruby product and Game Toolkit is a Dragon Ruby product. It's just really annoying to say Dragon Ruby Ruby Motion. So ah uh, okay, but, but yeah, so it's Dragon Ruby Game Toolkit and then Dragon Ruby Ruby Motion. And hopefully, some rebranding on Ruby Motion will happen. It'll potentially be called App Toolkit. But it's mm-hmm. one of those things. It's like all right, now I got to buy a domain and all that. Right. So it's just Ruby Motion. But Ruby Motion still still around. And then we added this uh, additional uh, product being Game Toolkit. Okay, that makes sense. My son wants to be a game developer, so this may be a way that we do it. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's it's actually worked pretty well uh, with workshops and young kids because yeah. um, it's everything's hot-loaded. So mm-hmm. uh, instead of going through like the fundamentals of, okay, here's how you type an if statement and the, all the boring stuff, you just bring up one of the sla- sample apps. I usually uh, recommend Flappy Dragon. And mm-hmm. just bring it up and start tweaking the values and just see how things change. I think younger audiences, even older ones, I mean, it, it's just great to have that feature. But they really engage with that because they'll say, oh, what if I change the gravity from 9.2 to 15? What happens? And right. um, seeing that update live, it's it's just a really great feeling. So I think you'll yeah. have a good, a good time with it. Yeah, he's been taking programming classes at the high school and they have a game development gotcha. class. And so... I think they're teaching him C sharp and Unity. Yep, but... that's usually the the standard. Don't do it. It's horrible. <laughs> so horrible. Uh, but we can go into like the motivation and all that stuff uh, in a little bit. But yeah, I will say I, I downloaded that Flappy Flappy Dragon Dragon game and it ran no problem. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah. And, so uh, kudos. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not often you can just download something and and double click you know, it. It's very it complicated. Double click. It just works. Yes. Yeah. And and that was like one of the biggest motivators that I had was that you unzip the file and just double click the runtime and and it starts up. 
it's zero dependency. It was just, it feels so good oh, to, nice. be able to do that. And you're just like, wait, that's it? It's like, yeah, you just double, and it runs on, we have it completely cross-platform and we made sure to make, to make sure that it ran on Raspberry Pis, primarily mm-hmm. for that same reason of like teaching and stuff. You get your kid a, a tiny like Raspberry Pi computer and it can run Dragon Ruby. And it's like, it's really important to us. So, so I'm really happy that that just kind of worked for you. Nice. So it sounds like it's kind of easy to get started, but let's just back up for the people who haven't heard from you in four years or right. are new to the Ruby community and just, you know, haven't run across Ruby Motion or Dragon Ruby. You want to kind of give the, the I guess, the elevator pitch or the, the five second, hey, what, what, what is this thing that we're talking about? Right. I think that would uh, really help. So Dragon Ruby is a custom Ruby runtime that is completely cross-platform and zero dependency. So the idea there is that you are able to get up and running using the Ruby programming language and you can build applications, I guess. They're a little bit more boring than video games, but it lets you build cross-platform video games and deploy cross-platform iOS, Android, web, PC, Mac, Linux, console, all the things. So uh, it's a super, super lean, refined runtime or Im- runtime and machinery that allows you to use Ruby for video game development. And that's what uh, Dragon Ruby is. Awesome. So you build apps like you would think of just an app, right, with input fields and whatever it does. And you can also build right. video games. Totally. Yes. And you said it's cross-platform, so I can run it on my phone, I can run it on my computer, I, wherever I want. Yep. Phone, iOS and Android. PC Mac Linux, uh, you can do a web build. So WASM is target export and, oh, and nice. the consoles. Because I have a video game on the Nintendo Switch that uses Dragon Ruby. So you can deploy to consoles and it, it all just works. And nice. That was, and you that have the a, most important part. Yeah. Just to make yeah. I guess the other, the other piece is, is, you know, when we were talking, yeah, my son's learning C Sharp and Unity at school. So, I mean, that gives you like physics engines and some 3D capabilities and, you know, stuff like that. So you can do all that in Dragon Ruby as well. That's a great question. So, uh, with regards to what uh, Dragon Ruby's Dragon Ruby specialization is, two D games. So, you, okay. if you want to, if you want like the lean, mean, it just works kind of uh, kind of experience for two D games. There, there's no competition with regards to between Dragon Ruby and Unity. Now, the interesting thing is that when uh, the Oculus Quest came out, we started thinking about well, how do we tr- transition into this three D world? I think like the existing desktop 3d market is kind of oversaturated i mean there's a lot mm-hmm. of competition there and personally unreal they eat their own dog food there's it's a phenomenal engine it, it's just great so like the 3d space i think the contenders uh specifically with unreal it, it didn't make a lot of sense for for us to go into that space but the interesting thing was that when i got my oculus uh, oculus quest or i guess meta quest now i do any of you all have a vr device or oculus yeah we have two oculuses here It's magical. It was so magical. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, you know what? You know what would be awesome? If we could build, if we could build VR games using Ruby and have it hot loaded to the device and just kind of, kind of work. Not, not a AAA title. I'm just an indie dev, like one guy. And I, but I want to build Space Invaders in VR and have the, have the enemies come towards me. Is that something I can do? And we pulled it off. So our 3D offering ends up being skip skip desktop 3D completely, and we just went straight to VR. So that it's still in its early phases, and you we've got quite a few sample apps out there, but it lets it brings the I guess the the barrier to entry down so low where you can 
where if you know how to build a 2D game with Dragon Ruby, you add a Z to your uh, sprite properties or your primitive properties, and then mm-hmm. uh, X, Y, and Z rotation, and suddenly you have a 2D object that can be turned and uh, manipulated in, in 3D space. And it's just phenomenal from that perspective. But yeah, the short answer, 2D games, no competition. VR, if, you're, if you want to jump into VR uh, without any of that intimidation, Dragon Ruby is the way to do it. So Amir, how does that work? <laughs> like, <laughs> how do you get how do you get Ruby to run? Let's say specifically for VR, right? Like, if we're working on the Oculus platform, like, how how does that like process work? Like, is it easy? <laughs> I can't imagine it, it is. This is like the rest of the hour, right? No, so it's complicated, but I think it's really interesting to talk about because uh, it kind of it, it kind of reframes some of like the terms that we use that developers use with regards to like comparing languages and runtimes. And so roll up your sleeves, let's get into some of the technical stuff, I guess, right? So when I initially talked about Dragon Ruby, I said that it's a it's a runtime. And so the really interesting thing there is that when people talk about a language and we say, oh, I use Ruby, we usually mean Ruby language spec 3.0 plus on the C Ruby runtime. That's right. kind of what we're, that's kind of what we're abbreviating and saying. And so when someone says, oh, I do game development with uh, Unity, you're using the C-sharp 6. Dot crappy off incompatibility language spec. The 6. <laughs> old language spec is phenomenal. <laughs> Unity butchers it. I'm going to I'm going to rag on Unity throughout this podcast. I'm I'm sorry. That's fine. It's it, it's my it's my favorite thing to pick on. But they're on the C-sharp language spec and the Unity runtime. So, and Unity was originally based off of the Mono runtime, and then mm-hmm. it diverged, and they created their own extensions. So that's kind of the caveat when we when I talk about Ruby the language and then the runtime. So then now the question is like, how do you make a runtime, and how does it work cross platform? Well, that was the thing is that when you have your when you have the language specification, the C Ruby runtime, it I think it recently got WASM capabilities, but it wasn't something that. Uh, that supported Wasm, and I imagine it'd be really difficult to get it to work on work on iOS and Android. I couldn't get it working on console, primarily because mm-hmm. there's an assumption that the executing process processes are PC, Mac, and Linux. Right? The right. the Nintendo Switch OS is is not does not have the same OS infrastructure that these other uh, these other uh, operating systems have. So you have the dependency as that runtime that runtime, even though it's it's Ruby. So what we ended up doing was like, okay, well, how can we how can we make this cross-platform? And our entry point was actually MRuby. So MRuby is an embedded runtime, embedded Ruby runtime, which is phenomenal because it doesn't have any dependencies on the operating system. So with that kind of isolated Ruby implementation that can just be invoked from any C C library or C executable, we started with that and then expanded around that to say, okay, now can we make a truly cross-platform file access and truly cross-platform rendering engine and truly cross-platform IO and what does that look like? So that was that's where a lot of our work was. So we took MRuby as an initial starting point and then fleshed out that outer shell to make it work, usable across all these different environments. Now, the good thing there is that when it comes to cross-platform uh, multimedia, there's a library out there that already does this stuff, and it's called uh, libSDL, Simple Direct Media Layer. So our hard dependency, instead of being standard li- standard libraries across each specific OS, we take a hard dependency libSDL and use that facade to to execute, render, 
and do all the things across all these different environments. So during the porting of the Nintendo Switch stuff, I, I hacked something together. And then uh, Ryan C. Gordon, he's, he's Icolus on, on Twitter. He's like the SDL guy. If you're playing a game on a Steam game on Linux, chances are he's, he's probably helped uh, help port uh, that specific game over. So he's a, he's a pretty much a juggernaut in, in that industry. And during the Switch War, I was like, hey, this is my crazy idea. What do you think? He's never used Ruby. He's like, let's do it. So I brought him, brought him on as a partner. And, and uh, he's, he's a core maintainer and core contributor to SDL. And now he's part of uh, Dragon Ruby itself. So that's kind of what, and then I said, hey, figure this out. And he figured out the details of it. And then I handled the interrupt between MRuby and LibSDL. So he handled the layer of, from, the, uh, from the OS to uh, SDL, make sure all that stuff works. And I handled the layer from SDL up into, up into Ruby. And my my brain's still going. I can write Switch yeah. games. <laughs> You can you can, that's cool. you can write switch you can write Nintendo and the beauty of it is that you write it on your machine one single code base it will run everywhere and uh, that's so cool that was that was really important to me because I at this point I have like six or seven games out there and the the upkeep is is so difficult like you know every year you a new iOS device comes out or a new Android device comes out or a new console and just dealing with all the vendor fragmentation it was just mm-hmm. I. I couldn't build more games because I was so busy with the upkeep. And that's when I said, okay, I need to take a pause for literally three years to try to, to try to solve this problem so I can continue, you know, doing what I love and building video games. So of course, yeah, it's like, hey, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna write the, the game engine. You know, forget it. Let's just do that. And so uh, you know, as the saying goes, we we do these things not because they were easy, but because we thought they were easy. And here we are. So that's just that's how you build so runtime. Cool. That's how you that's so, how you build a runtime. <laughs> so video game platforms, just a sec, because you mentioned like the desktop platforms and the mobile platforms, but can you, you run it on like Xbox or PlayStation or any of those t- as well? Totally. Yep. Absolutely. You need to have you need to sign your NDAs and you have to have like the dev kits and stuff. But once we verify it, you're ready to rock. And and the reason the reason it's it's so easy for me to say that like yeah, it's going to work. It goes back to that explanation. So our our runtime is embedded. And the layer mm-hmm. around the runtime that handles all the multimedia is is libSDL. And right, I mean, like Valve, Valve uses this. The entire Steam client is built in libSDL, right? So this thing, this uh, that that library is just it's it's the it's our it's our hard dependency that we're taking. So we basically said, okay, if we were going to do Ruby all over again, what dependency do we do we take on at the OS level? And mm-hmm. our air quotes correct answer is libSDL. And that's what solves that's what solved our, our cross-platform challenges. That's so cool. I have so many follow-ups, but I'm gonna try and focus them. <laughs> I don't if y'all don't see me for a month. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I totally want to start like making a ton of games now, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so you can but, you can actually go to fiddle.dragonruby.org and it's got a ace like a code editor and a window that's it's 16 by 9, but it's 160 pixels by 90 pixels. Oh, and wow. you can just you can just type hello world. You there's a hello world that loads up and you save and it runs, it hot loads in the environment. And it's wild. It's completely it's, it's completely crazy that it just that just kind of works. And there uh, one of the one of the tutorials is uh there's like a jump tutorial and uh, the last one is like you you fly through space and it does like a 
kind of like a parallax view of flying through flying through space and it all just it just all works in the browser and it's that's awesome that's the wasm stuff that that's yeah, running that's the on? wasm stuff yep oh that's so cool so how, what's your experience like working with mruby i'll admit my experience is pretty limited to like just making some leds blink on the raspberry mm-hmm. pi <laughs> Yeah, and Ruby's so the the caveat, and this goes back to the idea of like, so what is the runtime, right? So the M Ruby runtime, it doesn't have it, it doesn't have all the things that the Ruby runtime would have. Example would be, I guess, uh, UUIDs or like for base sixty four encoding, you can't run Rails on it because it doesn't have all the out of process uh, communications that you have there. But the core lib, the core standard lib is pretty pretty freaking fleshed out, and it and as far as like the compiler options, you can. There's enough configuration in there where you can turn the dial between super lightweight and I'm running on a machine that can that can you know have a have a bigger like uh, memory stack and object heap and all that good stuff. So we took that uh, MRuby initial MRuby configuration. And was like, well, we know that we're not going to run on anything leaner than maybe a Raspberry Pi, so we can turn a lot of these dials up. So and we just we just kind of did that. We just turned turned up a lot of those dials. And then for things that that we, we did additional optimizations to like the threading model and just the whole like event loop. So Dragon Ruby actually has an event loop similar to Node.js. So mm-hmm. instead of having threads that you initialize, you d- you do an async call, and then on the reentrance uh, reentrance of the message prompt, you you pull to see if that 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 specific uh, action is is completed. So that's that's like a difference, right? So what's so what's so different about MRuby versus Dragon Ruby? Well. Dragon Ruby has a, a message pump, an event loop that MRuby doesn't have, right? So those are those are kind of some of the some of the interesting nuances there. But we turned all those dials up, and then we did some performance tuning specifically with rendering and that libSDL. And we're to a point where, like, I'll post a, a, a YouTube link to y'all, but I do a demo where I render twenty thousand sprites on the screen. And it's like they fly, they fly up into the right like a starry night thing. And then uh, I do the same thing in Unity. See, there I go picking on Unity again. And <laughs> Unity, gets like, Unity gets like eight frames a second, and we're we're like hitting fifty eight frames a second. So oh wow, it's fast. And you'll always hear, well, Ruby is slow. And just to beat that dead horse, a language can't be slow. Yeah. A runtime can be slow, but a language. A language is the language spec. So, so have you tried JavaScript? Have I tried? JavaScript? <laughs> so there is a C sharp implementation that is, is, I think it's like called Sharp.js from back in the day, and that's a common thing I bring up. It's like, well, okay, so if I write this program in Sharp.js, write it in .NET Core, and then write it in Mono, aren't they all C sharp? Aren't they all going to be fast? It's like, well, no, this other thing is going to be slower, and that's like the aha moment. So. Mm-hmm. So the Unity runtime is is bloated. It's got a lot of it's it's heavyweight, and it had to be. I want to jump on this Unity thing, yeah. Because my brother is right now building a game in Unity, and it's not going very well. So I've been trying to get Start. him to move. Absolutely true, and I need some like tangible reasons why he needs to move because he's not really worried about performance. It's a really simple educational game, you know. Mm-hmm. But and he's using the C sharp stuff as you say so how how can i sell this to him as an existing unity developer so i think i think the biggest uh, so historically over this three-year period i've gotten a lot of these like questions and initially i started with like objective stuff like oh it's faster da 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 and give all these like different reasons on on the performance and everything 
and it never works. So I think, uh, so over time, what I found out was that the best thing I can say is, is if you're, if you're a, if you're looking to get a full-time job at a studio, getting overworked and underpaid to work on someone else's dreams, learn you. Ooh, sign me up. <laughs> that's, that's the best thing to do. It's 100% true. Right? If that's what you want, if you want to be in the industry, work 80 hours a week, get underpaid, and then get laid off at the end of, at, after the release of the game, use Unity. And if you want a fighting chance of building something for yourself as a one to two person team and actually have a chance of it releasing and making even a small amount of sustainable income, you have to use Dragon Ruby because that that is my business model. That's how I survive, right? Is these is these micro teams, and I and I can't afford to have to deal with cross platform issues. I don't have the capital. I don't. I can't. I can't afford to deal with. I can't throw money at a problem. Money and bodies at a problem. So I have to use an engine that understands that and doesn't and doesn't put me in that position. And Dragon Ruby is that engine. So if you're a, a brother, I think you said it was your brother or friend, brother. If it's my brother, wants, yeah, yeah. If he wants this educational game to to actually release and be and run from day one on everything that he wants to run it on, I mean, Dragon Ruby's your best bet. And then the, we have got our community Discord, and I'm there, and I'm there to help. Right, I'm there to help anyone that's in the same shoes that I'm in. And I think that I would, drives that goes that. That makes the that drives the point home much more than the objective aspects of it. I love that. I'm totally on board with this thinking too. Mm-hmm. I'd love to dive in more on the why not Unity because mm-hmm. historically, I think a lot of people are attracted to Unity primarily for their physics engine, right? That just comes built mm-hmm. in. What is what is Dragon Ruby doing that can <laughs> also like give that feature set that a lot so, of people do? Yeah. So here's the plot twist, and you can try it yourself. Nobody uses the built-in physics engine. Nobody that has realistic, a real game out there uses the built-in physics engine. They just don't do it. So Celeste, hand-rolled physics engine. But basically every big game you can think of out there hand-rolled their physics engine. They did not use the built-in stuff. And what happens is you use the built-in stuff and then you find that it doesn't work. You have clipping issues. There's inconsistent, there's non-deterministic simulation as far as taking an input and then making the collision actually work. That doesn't work. And then the complexity is there. So you've got, I, I want Mario to jump up and down, and that's it. So I've got, I've got a vector for the power in the X and Y dis- direction, gravity, and drag. I don't have to set restitution, elasticity, apply all these like different meshes and materials to it to do something. So there's this there's aspect of like this massive complexity just trying to understand how to use the, um, how to use the physics engine in itself. I think for 3D games, it makes total sense. Like you need you need to have those those facilities in place, and it's probably worth the effort. For 2D games, it's just not worth it. So the built-in physics engine, you go on you go on uh, Twitch, find some random streamer that's doing Unity and has like ha- has gotten pretty far in the game, and ask them if they use the built-in physics engine. The answer is always going to be no. It just doesn't work. So this is a little checkbox. So what does Dragon <laughs> Ruby do? It's it's a silly little checkbox. It's like check this box. We have a physics engine. It does not work, but it's there. So what Dragon Ruby does is that we don't have a built-in physics engine, but we have I think like at this point fifteen twenty sample apps that show different different facets of physics. So mm-hmm. what does arbitrary what does ball physics look like? How do you how do you do simulate you know bouncing ball? What does axis aligned bounding box collision look like? What does physics for a platformer look like? What does physics look like for a vertical platformer? 
So all those like, uh, what does rope physics look like? We've got a we've got a game that simulates like ninja rope. It's called Klepto Frog, and you're you're a frog that steals mugs every night, and then every morning the people come back to the office and have to take the mugs back out of your your uh, little aquarium place. So and use your tongue as a swinging as a swinging mechanism. So we've got all these like, and Flappy Dragon is you know you've got your flying physics and and uh, right. gravity physics there. So what, what we're trying to, what I'm trying to frame it as is that you, you've got this game that you want to try to build. And here's a starting point for, for the concepts that you need to understand to build that kind of, uh, that specific type of, type of physics experience. And then from there, it's tweaking, it's expanding and making it feel good for what you're trying to build out. And it's worked really well for us. If you want, there's, there's something called Chipmunk 2D which is a C-based physics library. And so you'll need an ND license or above for, uh, for using C extensions. But any physics engine out there that is written in, that's written in C and C++ can be integrated into Dragon Ruby as a foreign function interface. So if you want to bring in Chipmunk 2D or I, don't, I think Box 2D is Java, but Chipmunk 2D is my go-to if you really want to do some crazy physics stuff. But you bring it in, expose those bindings to Ruby, and you've got your physics engine at that point. But that's awesome. That's, that's how we do it. The building <laughs> yeah, physics I mean, I... does not work, people. I promise. <laughs> how is your performance using FFI? Is have you noticed any like resource bogged down, especially on like Raspberry Pi as an example? So that's the interesting thing about about MRuby and CRuby is that all the all the um, core Ruby classes are form function interfaces, right? They're all written in C. So so. FFI is just is basically saying I'm going to implement this Ruby object in C as opposed to as opposed to plain old Ruby. So you're the FFI is really fast because it's intrinsic to the to the entire language itself. And then as far as uh, generating those bindings, we've got we've got a, a CLI tool that will generate your your Ruby bindings for you and expose it as a as a Ruby class that you can that you can interact with. So that was one of the that's one of the niceties that we added to instead of having to manually construct your your ruby objects using using the mruby api we provide we provide a means where you point it to a header file and it's able to generate uh, generate your ruby bindings for you hey there this is charles maxwood i'm excited because i wanted to let you know about this thing that i pulled together that i had just i've been dying to have this for years and i never felt like i could and then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question and then we'll just ro- rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and 
and make friends and and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. So I'm curious what you're doing in Dragon Ruby, maybe specifically, that makes FFI kind of safe. Because I thought there was like kind of some thread safety issues in, in using you know, FFI. Is there something you're doing special? I know you talked briefly about how you're handling those async calls. Is there anything yeah. beyond that, maybe? I think I think that's that's the linchpin as far as the async calls was that our eventing model, you're you basically get a time slice. So your simulation and your your game loop runs at 60 hertz. So 60 times a second, we fire up the VM, invoke the tick, the entry point, which is tick, and you get to do whatever you want within within that time slice. You can go over, but at that point, you're you're basically stalling your game. So once that time slice is done, it basically, air quotes, shuts down. And then the rest of the world, the rest of the C world does its thing. So when it comes to like the thread synchronization, we know our synchronization point. It's at the beginning of, it's at the re-entrancy of that, of that uh, VM loop. And that simplified a lot of things. So you're never there's never a situation where a C struct is interacting with with a Ruby object effectively at the same time. And it just it yeah. just kind of worked. Yeah. I, I never thought of it that way because you're right, like game development is frame by frame. You have a very specific allotment, right? And t- time based entry points. You do so like it simplifies the whole system at that point. It does. So I mean how much how much have you kind of augmented M- mruby to handle that like is it a lot of upkeep to deal with that kind of process yeah so the upkeep is there uh, so to briefly talk about uh, some of the some of the niceties of like the the event loop is that we can aggressively gc because of that same reason because at the beginning of that of that entrancy we can do a a major gc event before before we uh, delegate to your game so those that synchronization point is is really awesome. We can do a lot of cool things there. Aside from that, yeah, the upkeep. Uh, so the Ruby code base is about, I think, 12 to 13 lines of code for the runtime. And after this three-year period, the customizations we've added on top of it are at 21,000 lines of, of C code on top of that. And yeah, so we've doubled, air quotes, doubled the size of the runtime. Generally, we, we try not to touch the Ruby runtime itself. And so we can always... A rebase, rebase, and merge, and kind of pull in their changes. We made some sw- uh, small twe- tweaks to like um, to how hashes work to make them a little bit more performant. Those pushing those changes upstream is a little bit trickier because it's not entirely applicable to the greater MRuby MRuby world. But for the context of what we're working on, it made sense to say we're always going to interact with the symbol and we're always going to in- interact with this uh, facet of, of the hash data structure or the array data structure. So we'll do a custom patch in our runtime to do that. So, but yeah, we're at we're at the maintenance is there, and thankfully it's not a conflict of maintenance from MRuby side. It's just we've added stuff to it, and it didn't start off at twenty thousand lines. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is just a really small extension. This is going to be great. We can totally do this. And here we are, three years later, with with a double the code base. But yeah, 
it, it's one of those things where you just it builds up over time and it's it's valuable. It just makes it's good. They're good changes. I don't know how much longer I can wait. How how do I start? Like how do I start building my game? Right? Or if I sit down with my son, right? So when he says he wants to be a video game developer, what he means is he wants to be Toby Fox. Just being absolutely clear. I don't know if you all know who he is. He wrote. He made Undertale, which and and it's a two D game, right? You move your character around, right? So I'm I'm sitting here thinking. This is the stuff he wants to make, right? He wants to make a, a funny, quirky story like Undertale or what's the what's the uh, sequel to it? Deltarune. He wants to make those games, right? And I'm sitting here thinking this would be fun, right? It'd also be fun to like, I could see myself building a game where you have to go like navigate office politics as a developer or something. I don't know, you know, do an Undertale that's a developer game or something. But all these things kind of come together. But how do I start? Like, what do I do and what do I have to have in place in order to make it work? You got it. So you download the zip, mm-hmm. you, un- you double click to unzip it, mm-hmm. and then you double click dragging Ruby EXE and you're up and running. Okay. Okay. What if so I'm you, on a Mac? You unzip, <laughs> you go into the folder, double click, and uh-huh. you're up and running. That's okay. what Linux is like. You unzip, then you have to go into the CLI and then do chmod plus X and then, and then you're up and running. Okay. But, um, but that's really it. So after That's, you're up and running, there there's a sample app called under genre RPG underscore top down, and there are two sample apps that that demonstrate how to do a top down RPG with like map collision, mm-hmm. movement around the map, and like if you enter like a specific area, a label shows up, so it kind of shows you air quotes eventing. But uh, I posted a link to that, and if you if you go to top down starting point and look at the source code, I think you'll find it really approachable. So. I guess because I'm I'm thinking like, you know, I have to put all my assets in place and I'm going to do all this stuff in order to make the game work. But effectively, what you're telling me is that you've already kind of given me the framework for if I want to do a, a side scroll or a, what top to bottom scroll. I don't know. I, I don't know the lingo, but or a top down game, which is what we're talking about here with, you know, navigating mm-hmm. the map, kind of like Zelda. Right. And so from there, I can start to modify the map. I can modify the interactions. I can figure out, oh, they walked through a door. Now I got to do this. And that's all in place. So it's kind of like I want a web app. I'm going to do Rails new, except that, you know, it sounds like this actually gives me a a little bit more because I come out with a functional framework that I don't even have to do the scaffold in order to see a page, right, or do REST interactions. Exactly. That and uh, there's pre-canned sprites in there. So uh, we've got <laughs> square circles, triangles, hexagons. Right. And and the deploy template, they're under the sprites directory. They're rainbow colors, so Roy G. Biv. And if you want to if you want to render a square, it's just sprites forward slash square forward slash blue dot png. And then right. you can replace the you can replace the asset later. So right. those play- or I can put yeah. my own assets in that are yep. this character dot png or whatever. Exactly. And that was, that's one aspect of like building games and why Ruby is so wonderful for, for this world is that you don't know what you're building yet. I don't know the structure of this. I don't know the mm-hmm. types. I don't know what properties I'm going to have. I don't know if the HP exists on the armor or if the armor is a container for slots that have, you know, materia that has HP mechanisms in there. So you're if you use like a statically typed language, the, the language is asking you, Tell me what this looks like right now. And I think mm-hmm. for like maybe a checking application or banking software, that world is predefined. I could see right. like tr- a transfer or transaction being something that you can 
predefine and, and have work. But in this in this world of like artistic medium and games, Ruby feels so good because you you just you can start with dictionaries and arrays. You can say, I don't know what my things look like. So you create your tuples and your dictionaries. And then you start maybe say, well, maybe I can do an open struct for this property because it's kind of getting some form and function and then evolve to a class later. And I think right. that's a beautiful aspect of it. So with those pre-can sprites and these pre-can starting points, let's you have that spark of inspiration and immediately start to experiment and see if there's something there without having to do all the stuff mm-hmm. up front. Yeah. So that's the other question because you keep talking about this is so nice in Ruby. This is so nice in Ruby. And I remember way back in the day when I was trying Ruby Motion, and I might have this confused with something else, but I think it was Ruby Motion. The API was basically I'm writing Objective C Ruby style, right? Right. It was it was I'm gonna call this exact function that has a really freaking long name, mm-hmm. and I, it's gonna do the iOS thing. So has that changed? I mean, it sounds like what you're telling me is that this is gonna look a whole lot like my Ruby and a whole lot less like Apple's Ruby. So the the M Ruby the M Ruby layer provides us the polyfill to right. basically give us because with Ruby Motion, if we wanted to have array dot find all, we had a we had to extend the framework and say patch it redirect mm-hmm. to delegate to this, you know, objective C function. So mruby provides us the polyfill that says, okay, everything if if we don't have the native function to support this in our runtime, we can always fall back to the mruby function. So that transition right. is is that strategic it was it was exactly for that reason. So we can we could we could position ourselves to slowly bring some of these uh, some of the core like one dot I think uh, mruby's iso standard is like 1.1.8 it's got ISO 1.8 standard lib. So as long as it was, as long as it's in there, you'll have access to it in, M, in MRuby. And then from there, we can s- slowly push down to the native level for, for whatever we feel needs that extra boost in performance. But yeah, so what your Ruby is going to look like Ruby. So if I need an interaction from the... And I guess if it's cross-platform, you're not... Yeah, you're not directly mapping over to Objective-C or something. But I guess, yeah, my question is then, if I need to interact with the OS then you've got that polyfilled for desktop for yep. whatever right and so yep. um, i'm going to i'm going to it's going to be move yeah move underscore left instead of move in camel case move object to the left right. in yeah with x with y with yeah uh-huh yep okay yep and uh, so other other facets of it is that uh, like file.read and write we we mm-hmm. have our own file read write apis we have xml parsing built in so you don't you don't install Nokogiri because you you can't right because of a, of all the external dependencies and native C extensions. So we expose we have our we have XML. We've got HTTP built in with that with the async model. Same thing mm-hmm. with JSON. What so about databases? Thing, databases no databases at this point. You can write a C extension if you want to, uh, or bring in SQLite as your C extension. Okay. And expose that through FFI. But file IO is there. So you can okay. you you say file.write and then you can write your your data file itself. And that's generally surprisingly that's how a lot of a lot of game devs handle like game state mm-hmm. as far as like saving. They just serialize it to JSON and then yeah. deserialize it and pull it out. Yeah, as long as it's not um, too big, I would assume that'd be pretty fast. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think uh, a dark room I had like the the ASCII map itself had thirty six hundred uh, it was a XY thirty six hundred, you know, thing of grid uh-huh. and it persists to disk extremely fast and pulls it out. So you can have pretty big game state. If you're dealing with millions of records, then yeah, I'd probably say, okay, talk with me. Let's yeah. figure out what SQL, what, what SQL uh, solution we need to put in there. 
But um, but yeah, we try to ab- abstract all that out so you don't have to worry about it. Nice. Yes. So if I'm if I'm developing a game in Dragon Ruby, what is mm-hmm. like if I wanted to like take advantage of the next platform version, right? Like, what's that upgrade process look like? Is there a waiting period? Like, what's how long until I could take advantage of that? Right. So so the Indie and Pro license, which is Indie gives you C extensions and Pro gives you Oculus Quest iOS and Android, you just bump up the license tier and that's it. And you're done. So if you've got if you've got the mobile device and you've got your Apple developer account or your Android device, you download the new binary and uh, when you package your game, you will see the uh, the Android and iOS um, uh, uh, payloads there for you to do whatever you'd like with NVR. How does licensing work? Is it per developer, per year, per game, per... Per, per developer. No commissions, no royalties. Uh, per developer, install it on however many systems uh, you have. And you uh, pay once? Uh, it, it, the, in, the standard license one time, the Indian Pro are subscription-based because we okay. have to keep updated. We, no, we that makes sense. Every, yeah, yeah, every iOS and Android release, yeah, you got to deal with it. And, and the thing is, is like from my perspective, there's two aspects to it. I never want to put someone out financially. So like we've got in our bylaws or in our product page, we say, if you can't afford the license, just email me. And I'll set you up. Like it's just that simple. Now, if you're gainfully employed, making mm-hmm. above six figures, you will pay for this thing, right? Right. It's it's like seven dollars a month for like an indie license. You're gonna pay for it. And our our target price is less than a Netflix subscription. That's kind of how we that's kind of how we frame it. And uh, I've had people actually push back and say, "Well, I'm can I pay when I make money?" And I go, well, do you have hobbies? And they go, yeah, I do woodworking. How much have you spent? How much have you spent on your, <laughs> your right. handsaws? And it's like, oh, oh, I've got this like really cool like five thousand dollar set of It's like you could buy a sixty year license with five thousand dollars. So I think um, of what some people spend on keyboards and you know toward Dragon Ruby. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, have, look at that. I have gone broke working on keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> my wallet is in pain because of it and i've never made any money off of it but i've never said oh, maybe if i sell a keyboard will i uh will i put it in there but um but yeah i think it's a ph- phenomenal hobby to to really, like really get into and it's, it's so cheap it's a wonderful wonderful medium i wanted to talk a little bit about your all the sample apps and everything and mm-hmm. maybe kind of like more of the tutorial side uh, and like getting started with Dragon Ruby, because way back when, when I was trying to get into game development, I came across uh, this guy that had a site called Cartoon Smart, and basically he was an animator and he worked in Flash, and so for a while he had like just sold Flash games, and you could like take all the sprites that he had and make them into a different game that you wanted, and now he's made a kind of platform unfortunately, based on Unity, <laughs> where you can basically like kind of download a test app and make some tweaks to it, you know, similar to how you can with Dragon Ruby. But it's more, much more like hand-holding, like this is kind of like a course, here are the steps at each phase. Do you have anything like that planned or are there other people kind of offering that kind of thing you can point people to? Yeah, so we've got the sample apps and uh, we've, got, we've got the documentation, which is docs.dragonruby.org. All of that is available locally also. So all the documentation's inside of the zip file. And usually in the documentation, we actually do, we've got like a series of recommendations of how to approach it. We have one YouTube video that shows building Tetris from scratch. And it's really great because Ryan does it and he doesn't have Ruby experience. So he, he's over there like, uh, how, how the hell do I do this? And he, he's, he could code circles around anyone in C, but it's, it's great watching him use Ruby. It, it makes me happy that 
even he is productive in the in the environment. And so we've got school.dragonruby.org, which is your like a f- kind of like walkthrough type of uh, tutorial. And outside of that, yeah, I'm gonna make sure that is actually the URL. That is not the URL. I will. F- it's in the docs. Let me go to let me go to the docs real quick. Ah, dragonruby.school. See, I knew it. And so that's your like official like training video. And the approach we were taking as far as the company organization is that we're worried about the engine and making sure we're going to do that one thing well. And we leave everything else to collaborations externally. So we rely heavily on the community, the Discord server, and say, if you want, if you want XYZ to exist, then I will make sure that you have I will make sure that you have the uh, the power to make that to make that exist. So Lori Olson, who's a uh, who's a long time, I love Lori. She's Ruby. awesome. Yeah, and she was like, "Yeah, I want to do a training video and this stuff." I'm like, "Done." So she handles she handles the training video. She's in the docs, and that's taken care of. So with this this idea, Valentina, this idea of the asset store. If you want to, if you want to create that that asset pack that does something very specific, I'll make sure I'm going to support you and make sure it happens, right? Because that's things that I don't have to do. <laughs> it's like, please, yeah. please keep let us do the things that we do well. And then that's one of the aspects of the community too, is that there's a lot of people that are really good with Ruby in the community mm-hmm. and there are a lot of newcomers. So it's it's beautiful to see the magic again in other people's eyes because we've used Ruby for so long, we kind of have like lost that magic. But you mm-hmm. see someone that's, you know, just jumping on and they're like, this language is so amazing. And you get, uh, what's it called? You get to be that thing where you get the feeling because they're having the feeling or... Yeah, you get to feel the magic too because you're like, he's feeling the magic. So that makes me feel good and it makes me reminiscent of that. So the the community is probably one of the strongest the strongest things about about Dragon Ruby is that people just help each other. Mina Swan is, you know, is is there. We've added another one called Kifos, which means keep it keep it fun and stupid, stupid. So build games, don't build boring line of business applications with Dragon Ruby. Just enjoy, experiment, have fun, help each other. So um it's kind of our stopgap and how we how we approach a lot of that stuff. You get to code vicariously, might be the word. Yes. It's so much fun. Like you don't have to worry about, oh, do I need to create a 15 layer file structure and 50 classes to do this enterprise TM <laughs> thing? It's like one file, main.rb, put all your code in there. Yeah. See if it see if it feels good and then you know evolve and expand from there. But it's a really intoxicating experience and it, it feels good. It feels really good. I will say opening up that uh Flappy Dragon example, it was it was surprising how small it was and so easy to read. So t- huge kudos to you there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have time. I don't I don't have <laughs> I don't have the man the dev hours to to build I gotta build quickly. So my oh, one huge you. follow-up here is mm-hmm. like it would be great to have like some kind of editor, right? Or like UI, like almost Flash esque of the you know mm-hmm. <laughs> the old days. Uh, are there any like plans for that, or are you focusing specifically on the game engine? Are you hoping that kind of the community evolves this kind of so, overall environment? Yeah. So th- here's the pro tip: you will outgrow any editor that's baked into a game engine. So this is that this is that same uh, Twitch thing. You go to Twitch and watch people use the scene editor in Unity. And then while they're coming, like, ask them, why didn't you put that one thing in the scene editor and why are you doing it programmatically now? And they're like, oh, because the scene editor doesn't allow for this dynamic, you know, uh, emitter to exist. And it's too hard to get the node hierarchy. So I have to do that part program- programmatically. And so you outgrow 
you outgrow whatever editor that ships uh, with with your uh, with your game engine as the, as the IDE. So what we do instead is we have a heads up display. So if you bring up the Flappy Dragon game and press tilde, it brings it brings down a quick uh, the Quake console. It brings down a Quake console, and you can invoke Ruby right there inside of inside of. Wow, that, that is so cool! <laughs> <laughs> I, I have it open now. That's awesome. And type one plus two, and it will say three. It's it's the greatest thing. And so you have introspection into into your entire game state from that console. And on top of that, you can invoke any function. So you're like, oh, I need to spawn an enemy over here. Well, you just type it in and, and spawn the enemy. And the thing is, is that the console itself is written in Dragon Ruby and it's open source under MIT license. So you can extend your console to be oh, nice. exactly exactly what you want it to be. And and the thing is, is that because it uses all the same concepts as that are in the game engine, you're not you're not shifting, you're not mentally shifting. Like the Unity scene editor, you have to now go into the IDE extension world, but that's not the case for us. So you've got that entry point with the heads-up display to quickly put functions in and do all that cool stuff. And then you, you've got the source code as a reference implementation. And then on top of that, we've got uh, sample apps that show you how to create the stage editors. So you you go into God mode and it, it changes, you know, it changes the IDE to where you can put your collision maps and all that good stuff in there. And then that persists directly uh, immediately to disk live and you keep playing your game. So it we try to position you to to never, as your game gets more complex, we don't want you to go slower because when you go slower, then you reach that point of unsustainability. And we want we want the your engine or your game to grow with the IDE tools themselves. And historically, you you always see some successful platformer do do all these cool things. And then they add the stage editor after the fact. And it's like, why did you do that? Why is the stage editor coming at the end as opposed to hand in hand with the, the creation of your game? And that's kind of how we position things. So I've got a quick question. <laughs> and yep. this may be stupid, but are you able to, to modify the game as you're playing it on like a regular device? Yes. Like if, if I allow... Yeah? Oh my gosh, that's so cool. <laughs> I, I just say that because... Yep. There are so many apps, right? Like uh, I've seen a whole new set of games come out recently where they're like very like hacker-esque, they call them, right? That allow you to like kind of code in the game. Like, you know, open up, oh, I walk, the character walks up to a computer, opens up a console and they like can have like, they could try and do stuff like like a regular terminal, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. Like I I can totally imagine, totally imagine a game where you can make the game by playing the game. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so someone uh, one of the community members actually made an editor using the editor that they were building. So they got it to a point where it was functional, where they could type and move arrow keys around, and then they loaded the source code for the editor and started editing it with. The, yeah, it was we've had shaking of heads, but it, it <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> but, but you uh, could disable the console, right? When you release nope. the game, well, you can if you want. But as an indie, your lifeblood is people being able to mod your game. That oh, is your fair. lifeblood. Ha. Yeah, right? that is so Quake true. 3, Quake Three doesn't ha- has a console, right? Borderlands has a console. Into the Breach on the Nintendo Switch exposes a console, right? So this heads-up display, this console is mm-hmm. let them hack, let them explore. Let them I, yeah, I guess I don't care if they game. yeah quote unquote cheat. Yeah, yeah who cares? It's their game. Who cares? Yeah. Yep. And it's a beautiful thing, and that's how you build that build that community around your game and give it give it that longevity. Because people will, yeah, they'll just create mods, and you just say, "Here, do it, explore, grow, 
make fun things, that's awesome. make stupid things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different mindset because I originally thought that too. It was like, oh, you can disable it if you want, but I'd recommend don't do it. You know, just put the thing out there and let other people enjoy, you know, that thing that you built. It's a good feeling. So I noticed on the Dragon Ruby site, you have this Discord server, which I actually, you know, when I went in to try these games out, joined, and it's very active. It's great. Like, where where do you suggest people go for like tutorials, like diving in uh, outside of the Discord? Is there like other sites they should track to to follow? Like, I was just about to ask the same question. My my version of this, my version is: Is there a book? Because I'm I'm old, I'm going grey. I like to have a nap in the afternoons. Is is there a book? I remember there was a uh, Ruby Motion book which I I, I bought, um, yeah. the Clay Allsop book. Is there a Jam Dragon Ruby book? There, is, there isn't a book because you haven't written it yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's something called, uh, there's a Pico, Pico 8. Have you heard of that fantasy console? So there's something called a Pico zine and it, it did phenomenally well. So if you, if you type in like Pico Z-I-N-E and it's this like digital book that someone wrote about Pico 8. And the format, it alludes to like a wise, a poignant, I can never mm-hmm. say that word. Poignant. That guide, wise guide. Yeah, poignant. Yeah. There we go. I always try to pronounce the G. Wise, poignant guide to Ruby. But the, the Pico zine has this like retro aspect where you get those coding magazines and you take them and you try to, you write the code themselves. But I would love for someone to create a Dragon Ruby zine and then promote that, elevate you. So you, you know, you've got some, new stuff coming to you and help inspire you know help inspire other people but this is how i learned to code in the 80s was the typing in games and then modding them so this is very close to my heart i'm not sure i can yeah and as far as like the the docs you've got docs.dragonruby.org for the sample apps what i usually recommend is just do the sample apps in order because they're they're ordered by easiest to most complex so if you like if you like just reading api docs they're they're available there you've got the heads up display to do whatever class dot methods and you've got all that introspection built in or you can go through the sample apps and kind of one-on-one do that or dragon ruby dot school so but what yeah. is the best game what is what is the best game I, I don't mean your favorite i mean the best the best dragon ruby game best dragon ruby game what's the best one and i can't say any of my own right well no you can i mean you can i like the dark rooms so it's like wow I can't. I can't say that. As far as most successful games, I have the most successful games on Dragon Ruby. I'm probably right. the most successful Dragon Ruby game developer in the entire world because I'm probably the only one. But aside from that, uh, there's there's a lot of on the website dragonruby.org. If you go to the showcase, there's a lot of uh, games on there that are made with Dragon Ruby that are available on on itch. And you're putting me on the spot because I know the game. Then uh, I know like the playing of the game, and I can't remember. I can't remember the the name of it, but it was actually built uh, during for a game jam. So someone put it together for boss battle, the boss battle game jam, and that game is pretty pretty fantastic. And it was a it was a, some of the community members that that put that together. But I'll share the link uh, link to that specific game itself. But the art was good. The controls were beautiful. Its music is great. It's just a really great game. Cool. So what is itch.io? I just have to ask. So itch.io is kind of your, uh, you know how you do mixtapes or like SoundCloud? It's kind of uh-huh. like your mixtape SoundCloud for, for video games. So okay. you makes it trivial to upload um, uh, your games on there. You can monetize them. We actually sell the standard license on itch itself uh, to, to just be part of that community and uh, to get you know the organic uh, visibility there. 
But it's kind of like Steam requires you to do a lot of things to get a single game out there. Itch removes all that. It's like, put the game out, sell it. Okay. Give us a, give us a cut if you want. You can set like how much money you give back to them. And it's, it's a really nice, it's a really great model. But yeah, it's kind of like Steam, but, but for that indie world. Was it Decaf Dungeon? Is it? I don't think it's Decaf Dungeon, but that does sound like a game that someone would make with Dragon Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's just, there's so many games. Uh, there's so many games on there. But uh, I, oh, Duelist. That was it. That's the name of the game. So uh, Duelist is, came out of a boss battle game jam. And uh, basically, the, the idea of the game jam is that you create a boss and you have to be able to, and you have to uh, beat that boss. And uh, they just did a phenomenal job with it. For, for that game jam, I created Broadsword of Justice. So that's another playable, ridiculous title that you can play. But yeah, that would be my, my game pick. Very cool. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right? Where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it, okay? And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The, the full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. All right. Well, yeah, let's let's get to picks because, yeah, I have other things to do today. Yeah. Uh, Valentino, what are your picks? I just got a new Apple Watch, the Ultra, and I'm just loving it. <laughs> I love the... I, my old watch uh, didn't have an always-on display. And so, like, so annoying to just look down and then have to raise your arm, <laughs> which I know there, you know, s- some of the semi newer ones already had this, but it's just so great to just be able to look down and like know what direction I'm facing. <laughs> it's it's yeah. pretty slick. Raising your yeah, arm, that's not rough. As, yeah, something like that. Yeah. 
Didn't the 90s have always on watches? I, I vaguely remember. Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> mine, mine were always those like Casio ones that were digital. So like if the sun hit it the wrong way, it, you yeah, had to you raise it up anyway. It. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess like in a way I have the same watch. <laughs> I had had the same watch. <laughs> nice. That's it for me. Okay, Luke, what are your picks? I was going to pick UTM for Mac. Last week, I got one of the new ARM-based Mac laptops, and I couldn't get any of my stuff to run until I installed UTM, stands for Universal Turing Machine. It's completely changed the way I use the machine. So UTM is free. It's based on the Queenie backend. And given what we've been talking about, I would like to pick a couple of things from a YouTube channel called Voidstar Labs, uh, which is just amazing for hardware hacking. He's got a video on his new hackable mechanical keyboard called the MyRage 3 and another video on his head-mounted display. Speaking of a HUD, this is a real a real-life head-mounted display based on an Epson pair of kind of smart video glasses. So those are my picks for this week. Awesome. I'm going to throw out a few picks. Now, I've been traveling, so I haven't been playing a whole bunch of board games. So I, I think I'm just going to repick one that my wife and I played last night. We do a date every week and we decided to just play board games for our date this week. So we played King of Tokyo. If you've played that, it's pretty simple. I I'll admit I destroyed her both times we played it and then we played Legendary, Marvel Legendary. So just to kind of give a little bit of background on these games, King of Tokyo is a dice game. You roll the dice if you attack the person, if you hit the person in Tokyo, they can leave Tokyo and you go into Tokyo. You can't heal when you're in tokyo you can get cards give you special abilities and anyway it's it's a ton of fun let me pull up board game geek real quick so i can tell you the weight on that one it's it's a game that i can play with my kids so it's not that involved there is a sequel to it this king of new york and i didn't like it as much okay king of tokyo has a weight of 1.49 it says it's 30 minutes playing time yeah the first game i beat her in like 10 minutes and it was just you know sometimes it's just the way it goes with your roles and the way you get things going but yeah and so marvel legendary is it's a card game and it, it comes with a game board so you can place the cards on it where it goes it's a deck building game though and we have a whole bunch of expansions for it it's it's a lot of fun too it's it's weight on board game geek is 2.43 and yeah so we just i actually wrote a an app in react native that randomly chooses cards from the expansions that you select so and then it says so it says here's the mastermind you're fighting here's the scheme you're trying to overcome you tell it how many players you tell it which expansions you want to pull heroes from and and masterminds from and then yeah it does it what we found because we used to like turn them all on right and so you get like this weird mix of heroes what we found is that the different expansions are made to work together in a lot of ways and so kind of the magic mix is about two expansions because you get five heroes or six heroes, depending on how many how many your people are playing. But it's it's a lot of fun. Some of the masterminds are really freaking hard, and some of them aren't. But you kind of get a feel for how that works, and it's 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 a fun, fun, fun game. So I'm going to pick those, and then I'm starting a new podcast about careers. It, it's actually called Command Your Coding Career, and the reason is is because 
I opened up a while back an opportunity for people to come to me for coaching where I would just help them with whatever. I mean, technical stuff, career stuff. And I had people coming to me over, over and over and over and over again, basically saying, how do I get to the next stage of my career, right? Whether they're juniors and they're trying to become seniors, or I had a number of seniors who were basically coming to me and saying, I want to start podcasting because the next stage of my career seems to be helping people or making a difference this way, that way, or the other way. A few people wanted to start a podcast or something else so that they could sell courses and stuff like that, which is a place I'm going to now. And so I have started this podcast and I'm just going to answer a lot of the questions that I've been getting on these calls, right? So it's, hey, I'm struggling with this at work and, you know, and so I'll just talk through it. Probably tell a few stories from my past, my background. But one thing that came out of it was that I'm also putting together like freebies and helps for people. And so by the time this goes out, you'll be able to get this. I was working on it right before the show and I should have it up here within an hour or so. But if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, I'm starting off with resume stuff because I've had a lot of people just, I'm not getting interviews. And then I look at the resume and I'm like, well, your, your resume isn't formatted in a way that helps the employer know that they want you. So you can get my resume. And I think it actually has my email address on it. I took my cell phone number off it, sorry. But you can get you can get it at, at topendevs.com slash resume and it will you just enter your email address and then you'll get a copy of it. it. It's pretty straightforward how that all works. But what I'm hoping to do is, you know, then I can help people with cover letters or maybe I can help people with I keep going to interviews and it's not working right. And so maybe I'll put together some videos of mock interviews or things like that, right? And so um, I really do want to help people through this. I've also been working a contract and I'm, I'm looking for ways to kind of reduce my dependency on one source. And so there are going to be paid options for some stuff, but I'm going to give a ton of crap away for free because I just I feel like there's a lot of people out there that need help. And I don't necessarily want you to have to pay to get what you need, but I also have to make a living. And so however, I wind up splitting the difference is kind of the way that'll go. But yeah, for now, if you want the resume, go to topendevs.com slash resume. And then the last thing I'm going to throw out there is Rails Remote Conference. Putting that together, it's going to be in February. So if you want to submit a talk, submit a talk. If you want to buy a ticket, you can buy a ticket. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to some of the interactions there. I'm pretty heavily committed to not just doing like a series of videos. What I want is I want kind of a place where people can go and interact. So I've been looking at a couple of platforms that effectively let you walk around the expo floor slash interaction area. And if you get close to a group of people talking, you can join it and join in, you know, put together some birds of a feather. I mean, you know, that that for me is the magic of going to a conference. And so if I can replicate some of that in the meantime, you know, that's something that I want to do. I mean, I have other plans, but I think that's kind of the, the next big lift for, for what we're doing is, uh, yeah, putting that out and, and helping folks out. And then, yeah, that, that's pretty much all of my picks. Amir, what are your picks? All right, so my picks are actually all book related. So they're all books that I've uh, listened to just eat up Audible all the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first one is uh, Project Hail Mary. And, uh, oh, that was so good. Sci-fi is so good, good, good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And it's a it's a great read. Uh, the Martian sub-pick yep. is by the same guy that did The Martian. Another great book is a We Are Legion, We Are Bob. And the it's a, it's a three, four-book series. And it's about a software dev who sells his company and then signs up for to be cryogenically frozen in the event of death so that he can be brought back and live for him immortally. And signs up, immediately gets hit by a car and killed. 
and wakes up 150 years later to be uh, commissioned to as a von Neumann von Neumann probe that goes into space and expands expands out. Oh, interesting. It is, hilarious. It's a funny book. It's ridiculous. And it's got a kind of like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy vibe in, in some places, just the humor in there. And uh, so that's a good book. And then uh, and it's four books a series. And then the final pick that I have is three. It's a three book series called uh, The Broken Earth. So the first book in that series is uh, called The Fifth Season. And it's more of a fantasy book. And it kind of uh, explores like this post-apocalyptic world where where like the entire earth has been brought back into kind of like Peng- Pangaea, the, the Pangaea con- continent, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of talks about, I don't want to give any spoilers, but it talks about what went down and how, they, how they're going to fix it. But the earth's in a really bad place. And um, uh, there's this like, uh, the fifth season is the season that occasionally comes where uh, there's a ton of like volcanic eruptions and it covers the cloud and soot. And then people have to like survive with store caches and everything's in disarray and yeah and so they it's a three book series that goes into the exploration of how how all that gets fixed it's a very sad book it's like a very like bittersweet Mm. serious serious book but those are my those are my three book picks awesome yeah i really loved hail mary i didn't pick it up for a long time because i i listened to the martian i really enjoyed it and then i picked up artemis Mm. and i didn't i didn't like that book i did not like artemis either it was okay but Yeah. yeah But I was I was looking for a sci-fi book, and I was like, oh, "I'll give it a shot," and I really enjoyed it. So we are Legion. You will. We are Legion. Uh, we are Bob. You will absolutely loved it. I'll, I'll have to check it out. All right, cool. Uh, if people want to connect with you online, or if you have any other last-minute kind of, here's here's where I kind of live online. I'm on Twitter. You can find me on the Discord server uh, for Dragon Ruby, Discord.dragonruby.org, and uh, email ar at amirrajan.net. So, all right, all things are open. Sounds good. All right, well, thanks for coming. This was awesome. I, I seriously, I'm just like, I have, I have stuff I got to work on, but I might just not sleep so I can write games. Just play. I mean, just yeah. open it up, double click, and, yeah. and try something, and just get that magic back. Feel happy again, right? No more yeah. product, no more enterprise coding. I'm not allowing you to do that after hours anymore. Mm. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're like done. <laughs> yeah. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.